Hello, I'm George Cup. And I'm Callum Gurr. And you're about to listen to the podcast version of To Be Discussed with Cup and Gurr. Please note that this is a podcast, so it's not a live broadcast. So please do not try to vote in any of the polls or send in messages to any of our discussions, as your message will not be registered, but you may still be charged. Also, please note that not all of the opinions expressed in this podcast are our actual opinions, but may be expressed to create a better discussion. Anyway, enjoy the podcast and don't miss our live broadcast every Sunday on Wizard Radio Station. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of To Be Discussed with Cup and Gurr. My name is Callum Gurr, and I'll be joined by my co-host and political opposite, George Cup. Hello, everyone. This evening, Callum and I will prove to you that you can have impassioned debates whilst holding vastly different opinions without falling out at the end of the night. So this evening, we will be discussing, will the SNP continue to be Scotland's biggest party at the next election? How should schools and universities operate from September? And lastly, is hot weather the best kind of weather? With each of these discussions being accompanied by polls, which you have the chance to vote on at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And these discussions will be open until the end of the song break between each topic. But first, last week we asked for you guys to send in your questions for me and George to answer. And we've had some really, really fascinating questions come in. Uh, so the first one's from Jesse. Jesse says, the news about the explosion in Beirut has been really devastating. But I don't really believe the news reports that say it was an explosion caused by chemicals stored unsafely. The scale of the explosion and the amount of impact it had. There have been maps showing just how far out the explosion impacted. That just doesn't feel right to me. Do you believe the news report? that it was because of chemicals or do you think it was a bomb or something like that george what do you think of jesse's question well i firstly must say that um when the news came in about it i remember being on twitter and all of this the hashtag coming out and the videos that were being put about on on social media were just absolutely breathtaking and and i could not believe what i was watching and uh, my absolute biggest sympathies and and um hope goes out to all of the families and, and the people that have been affected by what has happened in brute um but i i i think that Yes, there are absolutely the reports out there that are saying that it is a chemical um, explosion. The the chemicals were kept there for a very long time. um, And due to the fire and everything, the the heat caused um, the the chemicals to react. And and it caused it was such a reaction that it was, I think, like a third of a nuclear bomb or something like something along those lines. Um, But at the same time, and I and I don't want to be um, and to quote 
Donald Trump. I don't want to be fake news on here, but there there are absolutely claims out there that do say that it was a bomb. And um, I can only be honest in what I saw. And I did see one video where it did show some kind of thing flying towards the, the, the site of the explosion. Now, obviously, there are very, very many explanations of what that could actually have been. Um, and it could have just been a bird that was just flying in that um, direction. And by ha by chance, it was it went past at the same time the explosion went off. But I, I do think no matter, even if it is just the chemical uh, explanation, I think that there has to be a very severe and serious investigation as to why this happened and to what caused it and why those chemicals um, and explosives were kept there for this amount of time. Because clearly... Um, as we sure saw, um, when things like this happen, it causes incredible amount of devastation. Callum, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's a really, really fascinating question from Jesse. And I mean, obviously, I echo what you were saying, George, in terms of expressing sympathy to all of those affected. I mean, I similarly, George, I, I saw this unfold firstly on on Twitter and um, uh, a journalist that, that I follow on there, Oz Katareji, uh, his, his family, uh, a lot of them are from Lebanon and he was obviously very, very worried. Uh, and luckily it turns out that his family were, were all safe with, with the explosion. But I mean, the, the, the impacts that this has had on people, I mean, you just can't really comprehend it. Um, in terms of Jesse's actual question, in terms of do, do I think um, that this was caused by just chemicals being stored unsafely or, or is something more militaristic at play? I, I think, to be honest, I'm not going to truly answer that question because I, I can't um, truly say one way or the other and, I, and I'm not going to pretend that I, I know with any kind of certainty. So, the, so kind of the best that we can do, in, in similar to what George has just done there, is, is kind of give both sides of the argument really and and i suppose obviously that the the main kind of factors pointing towards the fact that this is uh chemicals being stored unsafely that's um the chemical in question um being ammonium nitrate um so so the main the main thing that points towards that is that the director of lebanese customs warned actually about uh ammonium nitrate being stored um near to the port um many kind of years prior to this and several times that this has been warned about and and the, the damage that this this could have um but the the other thing that um is interesting is that ammonium nitrate is normally relatively stable it's only when kind of other chemicals um get in there and other sub substances get in there that normally it would cause this kind of impact um, and so they they are suggesting that based upon the color of the cloud um, that formed around obviously what was burning, it does seem to suggest that this is what happened. That maybe some other chemicals got in there. But then also um, some have gone as far to say as as George has already said that the the kind of the, well, the orange ball of fire around there actually suggests that this was military grade explosives involved. I'm not going to say either way what what i believe because i i don't i'm not sure that i i truly believe either story um completely in that i think it's just too too much for me to really know either way what's happening so so i prefer to kind of leave these things a, a bit later down the line and, and see what develops and what surfaces and when we'll hopefully get a few more answers obviously for 
all of the families that have been terribly impacted by this. Yeah. Um, our next question is from Liam. And he says, last week I was debating with a friend about whether the whole of the UK would go into another national lockdown. Obviously, there are some local lockdowns being implemented at the moment. And there are fears now about the R rate rising even further. But I don't know if there would be an actual national lockdown again. Partly because I don't think... Uh, the other parts of the UK, especially Scotland and Wales, I don't think they would follow Boris's advice. At the end of the last national lockdown, they were kind of doing their own thing anyway. So do you think there would be another national lockdown? And if Boris tried to implement it, do you think that other parts of the UK would follow? Well, Callum, what are your thoughts? I think that probably a full national lockdown is fairly unlikely now i think the preferred method is due to getting some kind of test and trace regime in place and more um, local testing facilities and things like that there's a preference now to have more localized lockdowns which is obviously what we've seen in places like aberdeen and preston and leicester earlier than that um so, so i think it's probably unlikely that we'll see a, a full nationwide lockdown where where everyone has the exact same rules i think we'll see um it adapting very much to the data that's available on a local level in terms of if in a hypothetical land we do have a nationwide lockdown um where boris johnson says that he wants the entire uk to go into a lockdown again I think the other nations probably would would follow suit on that. They might not have the exact um, same kind of um, uh, measures in place and things like that. But I think they would, in principle, follow the idea of having a lockdown because if there's a full scale nationwide lockdown, that means that the uh, number of infections and and the infectivity rate and things like that that would have massively, massively um, increased if that is to happen. I think and and therefore. The other nations of the UK, like like Scotland, I, I think they would just have to follow suit on, in, in that case because they couldn't risk it themselves. Well, what do you think, George? Um, I, I, I do um, more or less definitely agree with what you're saying, Callum. I, I think that um, if you look at the way the country's gone um specifically england then um i wouldn't suggest that there would be a full lockdown yes you are right liam that the r rating is is going up and um and i think it is definitely worrying but the way the government as callum said is now kind of dealing with that is by going forward with more localized lockdowns um, to ensure that there is still a development of our economy and to make sure that people can have a relatively normal day-to-day -day life um, if you don't need to be in lockdown. Uh, I think that if it got to a point where the R rating was to, was so bad that we would have to go into a national lockdown then absolutely i think we would see um the other countries of wales and scotland follow suit um because i i think that even though it was a decision for the devolved governments to um kind of have their own scenarios in place and and situation guidance in place um when it comes to lockdown and big decisions like that that affect the whole of the United Kingdom, um, I think that's when you, you would see those countries work together and, and the leaders of those countries work together as well on matters like that. Um, but I, I, I do not think, though, there is 
that much case in, in saying that the, the country will go back into full lockdown. I don't think that we can overly afford it as a country. Um, and I don't think that the government would want that stress on the economy again. And, and I know that may be quite a bad point of view to look at it, that, that you're trying to put the economy in front of people's lives. Um, but I think the way that they're, they're going about things with localised lockdowns is probably the best way of ensuring that the spread of the coronavirus is minimalised. Mm. Uh, and I think just one last thing in terms of lockdowns as well, it, it probably won't be the same kind of lockdown. If there was to be a nationwide lockdown, it wouldn't be the same kind of lockdown as what we've experienced before. Mm. In that, obviously, the schools were one of the earlier things to close in this uh, re recent lockdown we've seen, so to speak. But if, if this was happened, Boris Johnson's already said that they would be one of the last things they try and keep the schools going as long as possible, which is obviously um, fairly interesting. Um, moving on then to our final question from Amelia. Amelia says, me and my friends were talking about those competitions you see on TV, the ones where if you answer a really basic question or even just text a number, you can win a holiday or a thousand pounds and stuff like that. We were thinking about it and realised that neither of us have entered one of them. And after asking some friends, none of them had two. Have either of you ever entered one of those TV competitions? I don't understand why anybody would, but I would want to meet someone who has and understand why. George, have you ever entered one? I have um, entered one competition, TV competition, and it was a competition that this morning did. Um, I, I can't remember what, specifically what the, the, the prizes were, um, but it was something like a brand new car, and, and I think you got like a, a whole load of money. Um, and I, and I was, I, I just thought to myself, I was sitting there on the sofa, and I thought, oh, do you know what? Why not? Let's let's give it a go. Let's see what. Um, whether or not I can win, because you ne you never know um, whether you could win it or not. So I, I absolutely did did have to give it a go, I, and I didn't didn't win unfortunately. But um, <laughs> there you are. But I, I think for for me the reason that that people decide to enter into those things is that because there is the chance that you could win and, and the prizes are incredible and, and it's a very big reward for what you actually have to pay in um and i mean it's, it's the same for like the lottery or something like that i i sign up to the postcode lottery so every month i pay 10 pounds um and i'm in the, the postcode lottery and it's for i've been in probably nearly a year and i would say um, I've probably won about £150 overall in that year. So I have made a very small profit from being in the lottery, that, the uh, postcode lottery. But yeah, I think it's just that the potential of getting a, a nice reward. What do you think, Callum? Yeah, I am sad to say that I also have probably entered one of these before. I, I remember that there was a, a, like a lottery type game show, I'm sure, that where I entered into it. Um, for, for definite and then also I, I used to have the who wants to be a millionaire the like dvd game where you could do oh, a yeah. quiz on there and they also had one of these type of competitions on there so so i have entered but i'm, I'm sure on both cases it was after weeks and weeks of or, or maybe hours and hours but it probably felt like weeks for my parents <laughs> who, who i was pestering um about about doing it but it, it's certainly not something that I would look to be entering now. I mean, obviously, George, you said you've done postcode lottery, but would you be looking to enter TV competitions now? Um, I not not really. I mean, I don't actually overly watch that much TV, if I'm honest. Um, so I wouldn't really know what's going on. But if it was a big enough reward and, and big enough outcome, and you have to pay what I think it's like two pound fifty, then sometimes I just think, oh, why not? Let's just 
spend and you never know. It's, it's true. YOLO, YOLO, as, as the never, kids used to say. Never say uh, that. <laughs> uh, remember, we'll be announcing what the question will be for you to send in your opinions on at the end of tonight's show. So make sure you're ready for that, for the chance to be featured in this segment of next week's show. But we've reached time for the first song, song break of this evening, so we'll be back very soon. Hello and welcome back. So let's move on to our second discussion of this evening. And we're asking, will the SNP continue to be Scotland's biggest party at the next election? So in the 2019 general election, the Scottish National Party received 45% of the vote, up 8.1% from the previous election, and won 48 out of 59 seats, a gain of 13 over those one in 2017 and 81% of the Scottish seats in the House of Commons. So is the strong nationalist party that still calls for independence still going to keep this impressive performance at the next election? Let us not forget that this week the SNP have been under a lot of pressure and the hashtag Sturgeon Resign has been trending on Twitter. Callum, what do you think? I think that... Yes, the SNP will continue to be Scotland, Scotland's biggest party uh, at the next election. I think the the polls seem to suggest that. I mean, the electoral calculus at the moment has got uh, Scot- uh, in uh, Scotland, rather, SNP winning 58 seats out of 59. Uh, only Labour, interestingly, left with one seat uh, under, under their kind of poll of polls that they do. Uh, obviously, the monthly voting intention intention surveys seem to point towards the SNP uh, winning obviously at next year's Scottish election but then also in in a general election as the uh, the question does focus upon uh, I mean obviously w- what we've seen this week with the exam results crisis where um, we've seen um, exam results being graded by the Scottish Qualifications Authority um, and they had to do, uh, well, they lowered 125,000 predicted grades uh, based on factors like a school's historic performance. And, and this this seemed to disproportionately hit poorer students who ended up getting uh, lower grades than, than those from more affluent backgrounds. And obviously that in itself uh, points and um, seems to be very, very wrong. Um, but I, I just can't see that, that, that that's going to mean that SNP significantly declines to the point where they're no longer Scotland's biggest party. Um, and, and I think that what we see is the fact that the SNP have got a very, very, very shrewd politician at, as their leader in Nicola Sturgeon, who's got a really, really good PR machine. Uh, she shows probably a, a good mix of compassion and ruthlessness, which is what you kind of need in a leader. And she's got the kind of ideological cause of independence and, and nationalism kind of underpinning what she does. And I think on that basis, the SNP will continue to be Scotland's biggest party because there's just so many reasons for voters to vote for them still. Whereas quite often, I mean, they, I think they've been in power in Scotland itself for, for 13 years now. Um, but they haven't really shown any signs of running out of steam uh, at the moment. So I just can't see them being dethroned. What do you think, George? 
Yeah, I, I think this is it's a really interesting question um, because I, I don't often think that you could see a nationalist party like the SNP um, anywhere really else and to have such control um, and to lose kind of their biggest argument and still be in power. Um, I think the SNP have got such a beautiful way of going around things um, in terms that if anything goes wrong in Scotland, they often just blame the the British government. Um, and whether that's Labour or uh, Conservative, they very much like to play the blame game and it never seems to be their fault um, and they often ask for more powers and th often the government will give them powers and they just say there still isn't enough powers for them until they get to the level of independence. Um, it does amaze me though how, how well they still do screaming about independence and I mean there was an article that came out the other day where one of the um, MSPs turned around and said that equality will come after independence when he was talking about how he wants to push for independence and whether or not racism against English and Welsh and Northern Ireland people comes about he didn't really care um, and I think things like that is is rather worrying in but um Callum is, is very right in saying that I don't think that the SNP are going to lose any steam whatsoever. And I think, if anything, they've gained a lot of kind of respect, more or less, throughout the coronavirus in their handling of it. Um, and I think that Nicola Sturgeon is kind of Scotland's sweetheart. Um, she somehow really does have a very large backing and that she does very, very well. I think sometimes as well that because the SNP is, is solely a Scottish party, they, they do not stand anywhere else. That is probably one of the best selling points for them um, as well. I, I think that one of the biggest issues for uh, the Conservative Party in Scotland and even Labour Party in Scotland is that they are still overall run by the, the, the British parties. And, and that, I think, actually kind of goes against them in when it comes to elections. But I, I do definitely think there is... Um, SNP aren't going anywhere. But it, interestingly, I, I think the biggest shock, and I know it's looking back, and Callum, I would like your comment on this, is that in 2017, the Scottish seats voted quite a lot for the Conservative um, Party. And it, let's be honest, if it wasn't for the Scottish swing changes to the Conservatives, um, Theresa May wouldn't have got the very incredibly slim majority she did in um, the Commons. So do you think that in that case, then, that it's more likely that the Conservative Party will is the challenger for the SNP? Or do you think it is still Labour or actually sometimes even the Lib Dems? I, I think it, it, you're probably right, actually, that it's more likely that Scottish Conservatives will be the challenger. But I think that's mainly because, generally speaking, in most modern democracies, you tend to have one big party of the left and one big party of the right. Obviously, with the SNP, OK, yes, they are a, a nationalist party, a patriotic party, so they, they do show some right wing tendencies. But overwhelmingly, their social agenda, their, their attitude to kind of social issues is very, very left wing. Um, and, and so it means that they, they need a right wing challenger. And obviously, um, in, in that context, there's only really one um, band in town in, in terms of that. And that is the Scottish Conservatives. I can't though, realistically see the Scottish Conservatives ever getting to the point where they become the biggest party in Scotland. Uh, whereas, 
arguably you, it feels more logical that Scottish Labour could do that. Um, I, I mean, do do you agree with that, George? I I think that yeah, I I actually do very very much agree with that, and and I think that. Um, the Conservative Party are, as you said, they make up that ground on the on the right side of the argument, and it's it's quite interesting to see there isn't overly that much appetite for for a more right sided politics in Scotland. Um, but Callum, do you do you think that the SNP, I mean, as much as they are going on the tune of independence and everything, do you think that one day that is just going to burn out? Do you think that the steam from the independence engine will disappear not until they've got independence I, I think personally i mean it's like um uh ukip slash the the brexit party in that i think without brexit actually happening they could have gone on forever as a okay they've never got to the levels that the smp have done in scotland but but i think they could have carried on going you know and and carried on attaining a significant number of votes and i think it's the same thing with uh with the with the smp i think that until independence is achieved they will be a real permanent fixture because as we've said a couple of times on the, on the show in the, in this segment even they've almost got the best of both worlds in that they have a higher power that they can blame things on in a very similar way to what the Brexit party and, and Brexit dominate uh, or Brexit minded uh, politicians blamed quite often the European union for things. Mm. I think the SNP have got that as well. I, I mean, on that, George, I mean, obviously, as you pointed out quite often, the SNP are blaming things on the British government that arguably are devolved powers and therefore nothing to do with, the British government in a Scottish context. Do you think that that shows that we need to have more of an education um, around, I mean, obviously mainly for Scottish people around what devolution is, where the, uh, where the powers are for the, for the Scottish Parliament and where they are for the UK Parliament? Do, do you think that's, that's something that needs to happen? I, I absolutely agree with you. Um, I think that is something that definitely, definitely needs to happen because I, I, I would argue that that is similarly what happened with with um, Brexit and everything is that there was the lack of the education. Um, and, and I think that um, absolutely that that awareness needs to be made um, clear because otherwise I think unfortunately um, people in Scotland may kind of get wrapped up within this whole independence outcry and 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 not actually realise what is is going on from the the British government and and what handouts are being given from the British government and and that's and I'm speaking from that whether it's a Conservative in power or Labour in power um, and I think that in actual fact and and Callum please um, give your opinion on this as well I personally think that the British government has actually been rather good at designating powers to um, Holyrood and, and, and actually um, ensuring that they have a say for their country. Yeah, I think I think they certainly have. A, certainly since the independence referendum back in 2014, uh, I think they have been very much willing to accommodate um, the desire for the Scottish Parliament to have increasing powers. And how do you think this poll is going to go? I think that uh, most people will say yes, that uh, SNP will continue to be Scotland's biggest party. I say 
85%. And I think probably those 15% will be hoping rather than actually believing. What about you? I, I'm going to say I do agree with you, but I, just to be different, I'm going to say 80%. Um, but there is only one way to find out, and that is for you guys to vote on this question. Will the SNP continue to be Scotland's biggest party at the next general, sorry, at the next election? And you can do that wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And we'll be back after this. Hello and welcome back. So before that break, we asked the question, will the SNP continue to be Scottish Scotland's biggest party at the next election? And you guys have been voting away. So the results are in and 82% of you said yes and 18% of you said no. Well, I think that's quite a clear result there, Callum. Yeah, very clear. I mean, I thought you were going to say, will the SNP continue to be Scottish? And I was going to say, <laughs> I would hope so. If not, they might not have much chance of uh, getting their independence. Callum, stranger things have happened. <laughs> right then, uh, time to move on to our third discussion of this, this evening. And we are asking the question, how should schools and universities operate from September? So right in today in the mail on Sunday, Prime Minister Boris Johnson has said that is a moral duty to get all children back into schools in England next month. Schools across the UK closed on the 20th of March, except to children of key workers or vulnerable children. Then on the 1st of June, they began a limited reopening for early years, pupils, reception, year one and year six. The current plan is for most children across the country to be back in class by next month. Guidance on reopening has been published for England and then there are also separate plans for Wales, Northern Ireland and also Scotland where schools are scheduled to return from Tuesday. But should reopening schools be a priority and if so how should their return look? Out of the following how should schools and uh, universities even operate from September? Uh, should they just go back to normal, have half-sized classes, virtual teaching, uh, close, uh, really the nuclear option, close all schools and universities. Uh, George, what do you think? Well, I, I think that um, <clears throat> it's a question that's on a lot of people's minds at the moment. Uh, I am incredibly fortunate and lucky enough um, to be a school governor for, um, for schools uh, where we live. And I know that I completely understand and sympathise with the absolute um, challenges schools and teachers have faced over lockdown. Um, it's been incredibly hard for them and incredibly hard for the students as well to, to get an understanding as to what's going on, as to why they can't go to school. And, and sometimes as well, some of the kind of more vulnerable students as well is that school was their safe place. And their safe place got taken away from them purely um, because of COVID and the lockdown that, that went on. But I, I do understand the government's priority in, in trying to get schools open because I, I do believe that um, education and school is incredibly important. And I think that we have to really look at the how lucky we have been in our lives because I think that yes as much as we moan about school and yes we we moan about 
um, you know, having to, to get up to school and everything when we were younger. At the same time, it was a massive benefit to us. And also it taught us, obviously, a lot of things. Um, and I think school is is something that has to happen for every child and education and that involvement of other people around you is so important um and i and i think that it is very kind of um important that children have that kind of social life at schools as well um looking at universities i think that universities are kind of more in a luxurious position if you like because they can offer um lectures online and i think that children or teenagers i should say of that age are kind of more accepting of why that needs to happen but at the same time i think that university creates such a massive social event and social time of anyone's life that i would feel incredibly sorry for anyone that misses out on um university and, and those kind of activities that go around it so i do actually see why the government is trying to put these things in place and i and i do think that the government is more or less doing the right thing and and i i mean i've read over the guidance that um are being given to schools here and and a lot of the head teachers that i've talked to are reasonably happy with the guidance that is coming out um but but for me i i think that maybe i mean it's my fault because i put the the option in but i think go back to to normal in kind of rough terms is what i would go for because it has to happen um to ensure that at least our children can get back to a, a kind of normality because I think, if anything, it also helps their their mental health. Callum, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think I think this topic, whilst it's something that obviously is, definitely needs to be talked about, trying to distill it down into four options is obviously uh, very very difficult. And as you say, George, I mean, go back to normal probably comes with certain connotations which is not necessarily it doesn't necessarily mean <laughs> completely back to normal in the sense of oh we just don't we just pretend there's not a, a pandemic around or anything yeah. like that um but i do think that probably on the broad principles of what i'm taking go back to normal to mean um in, in terms of trying to give a sense of normality to to children and, and university students indeed as well i think that is probably the option i agree with them the the most i think half size classes has some kind of merit providing it means that students don't miss out um on certain kinds of lessons and they don't miss out on contact time with with their teachers and i think from a practical level although a lot of schools are going to try and operate a kind of um maybe splitting the class into two uh, and things like that I, I i think it on a practical level for a lot of schools that will be really really difficult virtual teaching obviously we, we've seen that being employed a lot during the the first lockdown as it were um, and I think that's had a degree of success I think we shouldn't discount the fact that actually teachers have found it really hard as well um, with, with virtual teaching because for certain subjects it's just impossible to do virtual teaching uh, quite frankly and, and obviously for, for certain university courses as well that's really really hard um, but, but I think in general virtual teaching's something that maybe for for where it's appropriate it could still continue uh, but certainly in a university context as you say George because it can try and limit the number of contact hours and things like that but I think 
really it's not something we want to be looking at um long term and then obviously I, I, we can't really entertain the idea of closing all schools and universities i mean i i think boris johnson's quite dead right in that the priority has to be to get schools and universities operating again and get them operating roughly back to normal um because if not there's there's going to be a, a left behind generation um, and also not just in terms of their learning, but as you say, George, I mean, their mental health is is massively, massively important as well. And and not going into to school and university is going to, to be bad for that. I mean, just to focus a little bit more on university, George, obviously, because we focus a lot on schools here. Do you think you can have... If, if things don't go back, because I, I think universities are less likely to go back to normal than what schools are. Yeah. Do you think you can really have that true, authentic university experience if, you know, f- Freshers' Week and, and, and kind of the um, more social events that happen, if they are having to have social distancing in place and things like that, do, do you think it would, will still be an authentic experience for people? No, I, I don't think so at all. And because university is not just about obviously getting your degree, it is that absolutely massive social side and, and that interaction of, of meeting people you've never met before, gaining some lifelong friends in some instances and and going out and actually having that level of independence that you've never really had before. Um, and it, I think it teaches a lot of people to, to grow up into adulthood. It's I think it's the perfect kind of doorway or corridor into growing up, in, into becoming a proper true adult um, and living independently. So I, I really don't think that you could wholly offer um, kind of a university just virtually because I, I think it would be incredibly harsh and, and painful kind of for those who who can't get to experience the whole thing that, that is an offer do, do you agree with that Cullen? I do I definitely do uh, agree with what you're saying George and I think in reality it's it's going to be so hard to have if we do have to have a lot of things virtually it's going to be really hard to have that proper experience but I would say on the flip side I like to try and look at the positive in things um, and obviously to all of those listeners that are thinking, well, I'm going to university in September and it's, it's my first year and things like that. I mean, the only good thing is that, or not the only good thing, but one of the good things is that this is going to be a really, truly unique experience. Probably, well, no year previously would have had possibly online events and things like that. Uh, and maybe even no, no year in the future as well. Uh, and so there is a, a kind of benefit in that, that there is a story to be told there. And I suppose that's that's almost a positive way of, of, of trying to spin this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right then, we've reached time for another song break, but it's now time for you guys to vote away on this poll. How should schools and universities operate from September? You can do that at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And those options again, I'll go back to normal, half size classes, virtual teaching, or close all schools and universities. And we'll be back very soon.
Hello and welcome back. So Florida Bakery asks, how should schools and universities operate from September? And you guys have been voting away. So 51% of you said half-sized classes. 22% uh, of you said virtual teaching. 16% of you said close all schools and universities. Schools out indeed. Uh, <laughs> and 11% uh, of you said go back to normal. So George, I mean... That is a sizable uh, number of people that, that disagree with us. I mean, why, why do you think that is? I, I suppose when um, you haven't been to school for a little while, it, it's quite nice to just be like, I don't want to go back. Um, because I, I think at, at that age, you can kind of think, oh, no, I, d I don't want to go back. And, and But because we are that little bit older, we can look back at school and think actually yeah. it was a benefit. Um, because I, you know, I, I absolutely agree. At the time that I was at school, I probably would have voted to close all schools um, because I would have <laughs> enjoyed the time off. Yeah, yeah, and I suppose also um, as well, go back to normal. As we both said, doesn't necessarily mean completely back to normal and no social distancing and things like that. No. Obviously, with just those options, it maybe does look a bit like that. Right. Let's move on to our fourth discussion, and we're asking: Is hot weather? the best kind of weather. So the UK has seen its hottest day in August for 17 years as temperatures reach more than 36 degrees, which is 96.8 Fahrenheit in the southeast of England. This saw many people flock to our coastline to try and enjoy the sun and make up for the holiday I'm sure many couldn't go on. But Callum, do you think that hot weather is the best kind of weather? Uh, it kind of depends a little bit upon where you are when experiencing this hot weather. Yeah. You know, if, if I'm abroad and, and I've got a nice swimming pool access to or, or a nice sandy beach or something like that, then I'd probably say, yeah, hot weather is. I mean, you're always the most relaxed on holiday, aren't you? Yeah. But then you do forget about the fact that, you know, when you get to the airport, um, and you're walking around in the heat and you're just literally sweating from walking around. And and even in the UK, to, to be honest, this week at points it's felt like that. And, you know, I'm, I'm sat on a chair and I get up and and I feel a little bit faint because because of the heat rush or something. I, I don't quite know what it is um, that, that, that's causing it, but it only happens in the hot weather for me. Uh, and and so on that basis. I'm going to say, no, hot weather's not the best kind of weather. I, I'm really, really beige about it. And I say that I, I just got like a nice middle ground where it's not too hot, not too cold, just somewhere in the middle. Spring or autumn is always <laughs> my favourite seasons. What do you think, George? I, I think on this, it kind of depends on what you would describe as hot weather for me. Um, I mean, absolutely, if we're describing 36 degrees as hot weather, then I, it's not the weather for me. As, as gorgeous as it is, as Callum rightly says, when, you, when, it's, you, when you're at home and stuff, it just isn't the same. And the fact that um, I have to go to work and sit in an office that just is so hot is just horrible um and it, it it's barely workable if i'm honest and and i think as well i mean i heard somewhere i don't know how true it is but i heard somewhere that apparently um the degrees in the united kingdom is often a lot more uh, is often a lot hotter purely because um of our climate here and our humidity so it feels a lot hotter than actually just 36 degrees 
Um, and, and I don't know how true that is, but I, I, have, I have absolutely heard that many, many a time. But I, I, I think that as well, I, for me, I just I do have to agree with Callum. And I don't like being a beige person, but I'm going to have to be very beige and say that I like it somewhere in the middle because I don't like it too hot. But I also I don't like it too cold. So, I mean, I don't mind the odd kind of day where I can sunbathe. But at the same time, I don't like it over the top where I'm absolutely sweating gallons and need guttering. Yeah, and the thing is, for for me, uh, I'm such a I'm such a naturally warm person anyway that even if it's not actually that hot to most people, it feels hot enough to me to be in shorts and to be sunbathing and things like that. So, so I always get the 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 best of it anyway without it actually being hot. Um, yeah. So yeah. I mean that is that is very true. I Callum is someone that is always so so hot, and um, you know if you if you share a bed with him or whatever, he always complains because he gets so hot. And he's yeah, I don't know why are you like that. <laughs> I, I I don't know, but my my biology, I suppose, it's always annoyed me actually because yeah, I'm someone. Me. Well, I'm sure it does. Um, but <laughs> I, I, I'm someone that absolutely loves buying jackets and coats. But I buy a jacket or a coat and then I barely wear the thing because I I don't really. I mean, I do obviously in the winter. I'm not like immune to cold. I do wear a coat then. But as soon as I get inside, you know how some people can wear a jacket inside. I just can't do that even in the winter. So so I just never people never get a chance to see my nice clothes. They just have to see the, <laughs> the bad T-shirts I have. I mean, Callum, if you ever want to give me any coats, just. Please hand them my way because I'll, I'll be sure to wear them. Um, <laughs> how, uh, how do you think this is going to go? Uh, I think, oh, I reckon about 55% of people will say, yes, hot weather's the best kind of weather. What about you? Yeah, I, I'm going to say around 60, 65% of people will say that. But as always, there's only one way to find out, and that's for you all to vote on this poll. Is hot weather the best kind of weather? And you could do that at uk forward slash listen. And we'll be back after this. Hello and welcome back to To Be Discussed. So before that break, we asked, is hot weather the best kind of weather? And you guys have been voting away. So the results are in. And 63% of you said, yes, it is the best kind of weather. And 37% of you said, no, stick me in the freezer. So, I mean, I was pretty much spot on there, Callum, because I said between 60 and 65%. Yeah, I mean, you did uh, you did hedge your bets a little bit, didn't you? Uh, giving, giving two figures, effectively. But... Um... Yeah, I've never said to, uh... you can't give two figures. <laughs> okay, I'll just give a uh, between naught and one hundred percent. I say that every week. Then shall I? Yeah. Oh dear. Shut up. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Two Discuss with Cup and Gur. We do really hope you've enjoyed this episode. So, as mentioned earlier, for the first segment of next week's show, we'd like you to send in your opinions on the question: What's been your favourite discussion? on to be discussed you can send in those opinions by email to station at wizardradio.co.uk or through twitter that's at wizardradio so remember that question is what's been your favorite discussion on to be discussed and we're really really looking forward to hearing those next week which will mark our third year on wizard radio there's now time for george and i to say ciao for now so i've been callum Gurr. 
He's absolutely crazy. You've put up with us for three years. But I've been uh, George Cup. Thanks very much for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week at the same time and the same place for another episode of To Be Discussed. <laughs>